From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. The election's two months away, and Colorado researchers find that Russian social media trolls are getting more sophisticated. Twitter users may never know they were manipulated. Then it would be an upset if Democrat Ike McCorkle unseats incumbent Republican Congressman Ken Buck. McCorkle, a single dad and Purple Heart recipient, lays out what a path to victory might look like and the issues he thinks will get him there. Later, poems that capture the moments of life and the momentousness of life. I'll speak with Boulder's Khadija Queen about her new collection. Plus, a series of breakups led musician Daniel Rodriguez, formerly of Elephant Revival, to write his first solo record. But don't call it a breakup album. Time is on my side. I bought a ticket, now I'm on a ride. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. Facebook and Twitter announced Tuesday that they removed accounts linked to Russia designed to spread false stories about racial justice, Joe Biden's campaign, and President Trump's policies, all meant to discourage left-leaning voters. Meanwhile, a new study from CU shows how Russian bots and social media trolls influenced people's behavior in the 2016 election. And it's likely these Twitter users never knew they were being manipulated. Even as we speak, trolls are getting more sophisticated, according to our guests who are behind these findings. Tamara Silberglate Lehman and Shivakant Mishra are with the Colorado Research Center for Democracy and Technology at CU. And welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. You yes, study absolutely. You study interference by the most notorious troll farm, the Kremlin-backed Russian Internet Research Agency, and its goal was clearly to elect President Trump. It is the same outfit tied to the crackdown that I just mentioned. In the 2016 cycle, the IRA created more than 3,800 fake Twitter accounts, which connected with more than 1.4 million American users. So we're talking tens of millions of interactions. Tamara, what does this say about the leverage these trolls have? Yeah, so based on our analysis, um, we we found that, um, that uh, Twitter users that interacted with the IRA uh, that actually engaged back after being um, contacted, their behavior actually changed. Um, and we, we found a significant increase in their average tweets. Uh, we also found uh, an increase in the negativity uh, of their tweets. Um, we also found increase uh, in the mentions of both Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Uh, so uh, it's it's clear that they had an impact um, in this uh, Twitter users. Okay, so just to unpack what you told us there, they tended to tweet more after these interactions with the Russian trolls, and they tended to be nastier after they would encounter these folks. Is that right? Yeah, we, we did a sentiment analysis, and we found that the, uh, the sentiment was uh, more negative. So would you say that that means these trolls are good at stirring the pot differently put. Uh, Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) Uh, Shiv, you you found indeed that people were influenced by Russian trolls on Twitter. Were you surprised by just how much influence these trolls could have? Right. 
definitely, we were uh, surprised by the extent to which we saw the change in the behavior of these users. Uh, just so, just to expand on uh, what Tamara said, you know, we looked at uh, the uh, at these users who came in contact with, with the uh, Russian bots, and we looked at these users' Twitter activity uh, before they came in contact with the bots and after they came in the contact uh, came in contact with the bots. And uh, what was striking was, you know, that uh, there was a clear shift actually in this uh, um, in the behavior, you know, in terms of the. Uh, the number of tweets that these users have started sending or in terms of the uh, negativity in the sentiments of the tweets that they were sending or in terms of, uh, you know, the uh, mentions of uh, Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. So the, the the shift, you know, the change actually between before and after shift was quite uh, striking, actually. Um, we actually did a statistical analysis and uh, we found that the result that we noticed uh, is actually statistically significant, mm-hmm. uh, which essentially means that you know this thing, uh, this result cannot be, uh, you know, because of some chance. You know, there is a systematic uh, change in the user behavior. And what is the significance of the fact that when they would then tweet after these interactions, these Twitter users, what is the significance of the fact that they would then invoke the names of Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump? Why is that uh, right. remarkable? So, so um, they, it is remarkable because uh, um, it's not just in terms of mentioning their names, but we what we found was actually the sentiments that were expressed in the tweets that were um, that mentioned uh, these names. Um, we basically found that the negativity of the uh, tweet sentiments was quite high, actually, um, and it was true for both, actually. You know, like whether the tweet was mentioning Donald Trump or the tweet was mentioning. Hillary Clinton, Mm. the negativity was, both of those set of tweets, the negativity was very high. So that's an important way to track uh, whether the negativity followed a particular candidate, and it seems to have been uh, in relation to both. Uh, Tamara, your study did not explore voting outcomes, but it does show that trolls could alter users' sentiments about candidates. If contacted by the IRA, people just tended to be less positive or more negative about Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. What does that tell us about this political cycle tomorrow? Well, um, we we are interested in uh, looking at this uh, elections, this upcoming elections. Um, we actually are interested in expanding our analysis and uh, trying to find out um, if, uh, well, now we know based on the news from that came out yesterday yeah. that uh, uh, Russia is still at it and trying to uh, impact our elections. But we are interested in actually looking at the behavior of users on Twitter and possibly as well Facebook um, to see if we can uh, identify similar patterns as we as we saw in 2015. Um, and so, and and because we can actually do this analysis before the elections, maybe we can do a more in-depth analysis uh, of the data set. I'll say that Facebook said its investigation, which led to accounts being removed this week, was launched after receiving a tip from the FBI about accounts controlled by the IRA. Um, so, Shiv, help us understand uh, the difference here between trolls. Uh, where I imagine that there's someone furiously typing away at a keyboard, 
and bots that might be based on algorithms and things like that. What, what's the difference there, and how did that play into your findings in 2016? Right. So, so the key uh, here is that the bots are actually uh, very systematically designed. Um, they are designed to look like humans, uh, even though uh, these accounts are actually controlled by algorithms. And these algorithms uh, are designed with the intention that, uh, you know, they want to basically contact, you know, target as many uh, U.S. citizens in this particular case uh, as possible and essentially influence them. So basically, uh, these bots were designed to, first of all, contact these uh, users and then um, uh, send them, you know, misleading propaganda, uh, fake news kind of uh, messages to these users. And then they would actually, uh, in the case of Twitter, they would actually retweet their tweets or mention these users in the tweets that they send out. Uh, sometimes they will, they would even reply to the tweets that they use. So the, the bots are basically designed to look like humans so that the, the, a user might actually think that uh, he or she is actually interacting with, you know, just another user in the Twitter. Uh, but indeed, they are actually being interacted with uh, a well-coordinated uh, set of bots, you know. And just to be very clear, your research into 2016 uh, involved bots, involved these algorithms as well? That is correct. So, yeah. so our research basically uh, looked at the bots. Uh, this is essentially the data set, as you mentioned, uh, was released by Twitter a uh, few um, some time back. And so our, our the research basically looked at that data set that uh, Twitter released. If I'm a user of Twitter or of Facebook, what, what lessons are there for me in this? I mean, I think, for instance, Tamara, that there are sites that can check whether an account I'm interacting with is likely to be a bot or a troll or not. Um, is that something you would recommend? How did perhaps this lead to a change in your own behavior? Yes, yeah, certainly. Uh, there, there's a lot of resources out there that can help uh, users identify uh, bots. Um, but I would also say that uh, it's everyone's responsibility to understand the landscape of what's happening today with technology and democracy. And uh, actually, one of uh, one of the, our research projects that we're working on is uh, evaluating uh, what can we do to re-educate people to understand what is uh, fake news. For example, what goes into the critical thinking methods uh, to identify uh, fake news and uh, disinformation. And so, um, yeah, I think it's in everyone's responsibility to, to do the like, work to really understand who and what you're interacted with, you're interacting with. And um, is there, yeah, I wonder and, and if there's plenty of resources out, out there to help people identify those. Yes. Now, the one I use is called Botometer, and it's uh, a function, I think, of the University of Indiana. Is there one you use? Uh, no, that's, that's, that's a that, really uh, good one. Sure. Yeah, that bot botometer basically we used botometer uh, mainly because uh, um, the the bots that uh, Twitter released, you know, they were of course Twitter had verified that they were the bots, but the users that uh, Twitter's came in, the bots came in contact with, um, we wanted to make sure that those users themselves were not bots, and to do that oh. we actually used a botometer, and indeed we found that a lot of those users user accounts were you know, based on Botometer uh, results were actually bots. So uh, the number that you mentioned, you know, like the 1.4 million, a lot of those were actually uh, 
uh, bots. You know? Yeah, that's fascinating. In other words, you were studying troll and bot behavior, but you had to also make sure that those they were interacting with weren't also trolls and bots. Uh, so that's important. And I guess just in the last few moments here, it, it seems to me that if you are on social media, Tamara, and and you see something that really, really stirs you up, that gets your blood boiling, maybe that reaction in and of itself is a sign that someone's trying to manipulate you. Do, I'm not saying that's always the case by, by any means, but do you think that that might be a, a red flag? Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I think that, uh, you know, uh, this type of campaign uh, is trying to stir up uh, strong emotions and uh, users. And so absolutely what you said is correct. And so if if there's something out there that's stirring up um, strong emotion, uh, be very cautious about it. Um, also, I should say that um, I think that in the world of social media, there's a lot of recommendation systems uh, going on in the background. And so very often you will find that uh, the, the, the articles you interact with um, are actually catering to your beliefs and your activities. And so I think that in the political landscape, um, you have to be very careful with those uh, recommendation systems because yeah. they tend to cater to your own beliefs and your own uh, opinions. And so very often you will find yourself in what is called the echo chamber. The echo chamber. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing your research, both of you. I really appreciate it. Tamara Silberglate-Lehman and Shivakant Mishra, both members of CU's Colorado Research Center for Democracy and Technology. Ken Buck, the head of the state Republican Party, joined us last week. That's as the GOP's national convention was taking place in North Carolina Buck's role as party chair was the reason we brought him on, but he's also a sitting member of Congress up for re-election, and so we wanted to give his Democratic challenger some airtime as well. Isaac Ike McCorkle of Parker is here. Ike, welcome to the program. Hi, Ryan. Thank you so much. Yeah. And good morning. I can't tell you how much I appreciate uh, you guys having me on this morning. You enlisted in the Marines, I think at age 17, got out of the military, then rejoined after 9-11. You are a Purple Heart recipient, a single father. When did the thought of holding political office enter your mind? Well, you know, I have to be honest. Um you know, serving in the Marines is a tough job. And so, you know, you stay very focused on it while you're on active duty and serving and taking care of your Marines. And and that's what I was doing in the Corps. And uh, when I retired, I, my plan was to um, relax for a little while, um, you know, get over to 18 years of tough service and combat deployments and uh, be with my kids, garden and, uh, you know, frankly, I'd be a little bit of a ski bum and enjoy my life. But, you know, uh, like I tell a lot of folks, I, I recognized the uh, integrity of the institutions of state uh, that I swore to support and defend and that fundamentally support my kids' future and all of our citizens' future um, and our environment. And um, I saw those things being compromised and I felt like I had to do something. And uh, running for office to me is a means to an end in setting my kids up for a better future, a better tomorrow, with a clean environment, invested in educational institutions, uh, invested in infrastructure, roads and bridges, renewable energy systems, the things that we need to put in place to build a better tomorrow 
and to live up to our values as Americans. I'd like to have you just say a few more words about what you see, uh, if, if I um, can sort of paraphrase, as an erosion of institutions that you felt you protected. Will you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, that's just the fundamental concept of uh, truth-telling. And the foundation of a representative government is uh, truth, the truth. And um, the truth is what makes us free, uh, President Kennedy said. And it's only what will keep us free. And it's only what will keep us united. Where do you see a drifting from the truth? A drifting from the truth in the uh, lack of acknowledgement of the extent of the environmental crisis. A uh, compromise of the truth in the assessment of the true national security threats that face our nation and whether or not uh, these continuous uh, military foreign escapades are, in fact, spreading democracy, equity and liberty and economic prosperity around the globe. You want to represent, as I said, the 4th Congressional District, which is vast, uh, from Greeley in the north to La Junta in the south. It is generally considered a safely red district. Unaffiliated and Republicans outnumber Democrats. What is your path to victory? Yeah, my path to victory is getting out into the district, having the hard conversations, and we've just done it uh, this past week out in Lamar and La Junta and Trinidad, and we've talked to wheat farmers and corn farmers and hemp farmers and ranchers that, you know, have been experiencing really what has been the systemic abandonment of rural America for decades. You know, ever since the 2008 financial crisis, specifically in in present history, uh, farmers and ranchers, due to the tariffs and the trade wars, have really been economically, um, you know, um, disenfranchised. And now the current administration ran on catering to their desires and catering to their needs and saying that for too long rural America had been left behind. What do you say to that? Well, I was just out at um, one of Ken Buck's agricultural town halls, and um, you know I got a little, I got a lot of respect for him as a representative, and he um, did agree to uh, you know partake in a debate, and so um, you know actually you would be a great uh, moderator if you might uh, consider doing that for us, but uh, yeah, I showed up out at his uh, town hall and uh, spoke to the county commissioners, and the facts are are that the County commissioners and the farmers and ranchers in those districts are conveying the message that the tariffs and the trade wars have economically um, impacted to a vast degree farmers at the highest rate of bankruptcy since 1983, highest rate of suicide since 1983, um, which was a great farming era of depression. Uh, connected to the economic depression of that era. So you don't believe that the Republicans have delivered on this promise? Right. I think just like in the swamp, you know, Ken Buck, my opponent, who takes 73 percent of his money from corporate PACs, talks a a big game about anti-corruption and then participates in the very system and takes the very funds that are the corruptive undue influence in our government. You call climate change an environmental catastrophe. How how does that message resonate in a place like Weld County, which is oil and gas country? Right. It's oil and gas country. It's also farm country. And farmers and ranchers know 
and energy industry workers know that fundamentally what comes out of our tailpipes is poison for our atmosphere, for our air, our land, and our water. It's acidifying our oceans and it's poisoning our air quality. Weld County specifically had more than 162 days this past year of substandard air quality. That's what we need to address, people's quality of life. And what stands the biggest potential to employ people in that industry, protect wages, protect people's uh, peace of mind that they can put food on their table, is in fact a rapid transition and an expansion of jobs in the energy industry to renewable methods. Do you use the term Green New Deal when you speak to farmers? I do, and I also use the term, you know, large federal works projects and energy infrastructure investment and job creation, because essentially that's what the New Deal is. It's just large federal administrative projects, just like the ones we instituted throughout the New Deal, that stand the greatest potential to improve people's quality of life in CD4 and address the national security threats that really face us today. I'd like to ask you about a T-shirt that your Republican opponent wore to a campaign event recently. It bore the motto, kill them all and let God sort them out. This phrase gained popularity during the Vietnam War. It actually dates back to the 13th century. But, you know, given the strife the country is experiencing right now, kill them all uh, may read very differently to some people. I, I wondered as a veteran if that's a motto that you identify with in any way. Uh, That's not a motto that I identify with in any way at all, because fundamentally, the use of military force should be an absolute last resort. And as leaders, especially as a representative in the United States House, we need to set the example with our actions. And wearing that T-shirt is amounts to exacerbating and instigating what is already at a toxic level of of uh, a toxic level of um, interaction in our culture. And so the real thing that a leader should be doing is counseling calm and mitigating violence and counseling proper storage and use of firearms and ammunition, not uh, instigating or making worse what is already a uh, toxic situation in our culture with respect to uh, the proper use uh, uh, and appropriate use of firearms. I want to thank you for your time. Nice to meet you. Thank you so much. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Don't forget to go to www.ikeforco.com and check out our policies and platform. Make a contribution if you uh, Okay. We will we'll not turn this into a fundraising session. Democrat Isaac Ike McCorkle of Parker hopes to unseat Republican Ken Buck in Colorado's 4th Congressional District. You can hear my conversation last week with Congressman Buck at CPR.org. And Colorado Matters continues in the next half hour with several artists who create beauty out of loss. One through poetry, another through music. I'm Ryan Warner. This is CPR News. While journalism is retreating in many places across the country, CPR is putting more resources to work for you. Communities all over Colorado are in need of critical information, and your support ensures that trustworthy news remains freely available to Coloradans everywhere. As demand grows for CPR services, so does the need for additional resources. Your membership helps fund the important work ahead. A reliable way to give is monthly as an Evergreen member. Get started at CPR.org. 
Poet and CU Boulder professor Khadija Queen dives into life's crises and yet makes room for moments of wonder. Her new collection is Anodyne, a word that has a lot of different meanings, including something that soothes. And professor, welcome to Colorado Matters. You there? Khadija? Sounds like we're having issues with that connection. What shall we do here? Okay. We're going to circle back to that conversation with Khadija Queen as soon as we can establish the connection. The pandemic era means that we are rarely face-to-face with guests, and so this is a reality of live radio. I will say that we have chosen the next book for Turn the Page with Colorado Matters, That's where we all read together and then discuss the book with the author on a virtual stage. And our latest pick will help us understand how human beings have categorized and oppressed one another using attributes like race. So the book we've chosen is called The History of White People by Nell Irvin Painter. She is a history professor emerita at Princeton, formerly the director of its program in African-American studies. And this book was recommended to us At the start of the protests over racism and police brutality, a resource to put this moment in America in context. Here is how the New York Times described this choice. Painter's accessible study shows that deciding who is white has always been heavily influenced by class and culture. So I want to invite you to pick up The History of White People by Nell Irvin Painter and then join us for a virtual event the evening of September 22nd. It's free. You'll be able to ask the author questions. Details at cpr.org slash turn the page. That's cpr.org slash turn the page. And I believe we have our poet, Khadija Queen, on the line. Welcome to Colorado Matters. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you know, these poems reflect on the extremes of life, but also the everydayness. I, I wonder how you weave the momentous with the moments? I think that's what we do all the time. I think that's the nature of being a human being alive in any moment. We have these moments that are are quotidian every day, and then things happen around us in the world and in our lives that change us. So that's what we contend with in our existence. And do you think that Poetry has to be a balance of those two. I mean, it occurs to me that if it's too momentous, it could be very difficult for the reader and for the poet. And if there's not enough momentousness, maybe it doesn't have enough impact. Is that a balance that you seek? It certainly is. I hesitate to say that it should be one way or the other, but I certainly, um, I approach it that way because that's what it feels like to me. That feels like the authentic experience to me. The first poem in this book grabs you with the title, In the Event of an Apocalypse, Be Ready to Die. Would you read a portion for us? Certainly, of course. In the event of an apocalypse, be ready to die. But do also remember Gallup, Arbaria, Repositories of beauty now ruined to find exquisite. Dirt-studded and mold-streaked monuments to the disappeared. 
Remember when pain was not to be seen or looked at, but institutionalized, invisible, unspoken, transformed, but not really transformed, covered up with made-up valor or resilience. Some people are not worth saving, no one wants to say, but they say it in judgment. They say it in looking away, avoiding evidence of suffering at all costs. Warned inert, we could watch ourselves, foolish, lose it all. Sometimes I think uh, poetry can be so difficult over the phone, Khadija, but there's really beautiful descriptions there amidst the idea of an apocalypse. Uh, the line cut out a bit as you were imploring people in this poem to remember galleries, gardens, herbaria, repositories of beauty now ruin to find exquisite, dirt-studded and mold-streaked. I wonder how you think this piece resonates right now with the pandemic and climate change and systemic racism, which can feel like such existential threats. It does feel very urgent right now to do something, and yet it feels like we can't do anything, right? It feels like there's a sense of powerlessness to face all of these momentous things, as you mentioned, that there's too much it can overwhelm the reader, but certainly it can also just overwhelm us <laughs> as a population. But that doesn't mean that we do nothing. Like I think that accounting um, that poetry provides, um, that space for reflection, for imagining a future that could be different than it would be if we didn't do anything at all, um, is powerful. And I think it's important and is just as vital to, um, to our lives as, you know, um, the study of science. We have to invite ourselves to imagine better. I really appreciate that right now. I think as someone in news, it is so easy to get overwhelmed by the daily crush of headlines that it doesn't leave much room for imagining. But it sounds like you think imagining is critical to getting to a different world. Is that what I hear you saying? I absolutely do. Um, I think that without imagination, we just fall into, we can fall into despair. And some of the best things that we've invented have come out of imagination, mm. right? Um, com coming from science or for, for art or even, you know, the media, like invention and imagination. Um, we don't move forward without those things. Okay. And this is why we need poets now more than ever to help us <laughs> imagine and to put words to those imaginations. I do think of poets as channels of the events and the energy around them. And so I, I guess I want to ask very plainly how you're doing. How are you doing, Khadija Queen? <laughs> you know, I've had my moments. I, I, this past weekend with Chadwick Boseman passing away, um, I, I think Sunday I didn't do anything. I didn't get out of bed. I was just a wreck. And um, I was texting with friends like, trying to figure out, like, what's going to happen to us, you know, um, and all of the stuff that's happening in the news, which I don't even want to talk about. But where we arrived is that um, we watched Lovecraft Country, 
And this sort of new imagining of horror and this parallelism with the horror we're living through was extremely um, uplifting. And I know that sounds strange to say about horror, but it offered us space for imagining our empowerment in, in impossible circumstances. And we needed that. I was able to get out of bed in the morning on Monday. Mm. You mentioned Chadwick Boseman, the actor who was quite prolific, but most and perhaps best known uh, for Black Panther. Um, And and give us the title uh, one more time of that, I think, film that you watched over the weekend. Oh, the television show on HBO. It's called Lovecraft Country. Lovecraft Country. All right. I'm interested in uh, suggestions for escapism these days, so I appreciate that. Yes. All right, Khadija Queen, your poem, Double Life, explores your experiences as a black female professor in the disproportionately white world of academia. And you contrast foods, scents, and family memories with the challenges of living as a woman of color. Um, You know, I was going to have you read the poem, but um, it's quite difficult, given our connection, I think, truly to absorb it. So I wonder if you might just set the scene of this poem up a bit before I have you read an excerpt. Certainly. Uh, I was sitting at the Hornet on Broadway with a friend of mine who's also a professor. She is... um, uh, part of Hatchie and we were just talking and we were enjoying ourselves and we were kind of loud and um, the guy sitting next to us um, left because we were laughing I guess too loudly like took their plates and like left um, because we were talking about racism <laughs> but we were laughing so I don't know it was just a strange experience of uh, existing in public space talking about something that affected us and our neighbors not wanting to hear it while they're eating. Okay, so the Hornet, the restaurant right on Broadway in Denver, that's a bit of the scene. That's right. Uh, So uh, let me have you just read uh, a little excerpt before we go. For dessert, we split peach cobbler topped with vanilla ice cream. I don't eat dairy, so she spooned it up and I basked in the warm sugar and fruit and surprise of caramel crisscrossed on the just right crust. Remembering my grandmother and the smell of nutmeg and cinnamon in her kitchen, fresh peaches simmering in syrup in an old pot on the gas stove, her fingers pinching quick dough, remembering her permanent frown as a pair of mirrored crescents between her eyes, the map of lines on her forehead, and as we speak, I am inheriting the furrows earned rightfully by crones. If you do it quickly, Grandma said, you can heal burns without leaving a scar. Smooth your injured skin, then peel and cut a potato in two and hold each rinsed half to the heated flay until the potato turns black. Repeat until it looks like nothing ever happened. I love how in that poem, Double Life, a moment sitting at a Denver restaurant can be an opportunity to reflect on your grandmother and the sense memories around food with her. Khadija, thanks so much for being with us. I'm sorry about the connection troubles, but I'm so grateful for your work. It's a pleasure to join you. Thank you for having me. The latest collection from Boulder poet Khadija Queen is called Anodyne. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. 
CPR News wants to help voters set the agenda in this election year. I'm News Director Rachel Estabrook, and we're shaping our coverage of the 2020 election with your help. What do you want candidates to address as they compete for your vote? And how has the pandemic changed or solidified your political opinions? Fill out a short survey online about what matters to you this election year. Find the survey at CPR.org slash Colorado 2020. It's Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. Things can get so bad, I know, but things could always be worse. There's a blessing tucked inside of each and every curve. You could be a selfish fool, somehow not be selfish enough. Your glass could be half full, but you've already drank way too much. This is life. And this is Boulder singer-songwriter Daniel Rodriguez. He has taken heartache and upheaval and forged a new record. Sojourn of a Burning Sun comes after the breakup of his old band Elephant Revival and the breakup of a 14-year romantic relationship. And Daniel, welcome back to our program. Thanks for having me. 2018 was a doozy for you. How did you begin to heal from the dissolution of your band and of this relationship? Well, I think it's an ongoing process um, that started in 2018. Um, So I'm still working my way through it. And of course, the music and the writing process has always served as um, something to uh, help gain perspective and and heal through. Uh, So this album that I wrote is is no exception and music in general is no exception. And did it turn out to be healing? Yeah, I mean, I listened to the record on the way here yeah and uh, i was singing at the top of my lungs to my own music and (laughs) you know giving myself goosebumps so uh it sounds strange but yeah it still provides those healing properties oh i i think it sounds strange only because i so often hear artists talk about how done they are with uh, you know a particular song after it's been recorded and you know reworked and and they've spent so much time with it i I find it delightful that you still find joy in these tracks. Why, why do you think that is? Why haven't you grown tired of them? Well, I think um, my producer, Darren Garvey, and I really put our heart into this uh, piece of work. And um, it just has a, a long shelf life in our hearts. So uh, I usually, um, when I put out a record, I've listened to it a thousand times and mixed it and mastered it and don't want to hear it Um but too much after, but for some reason, this one still resonates, and uh, I can't wait for that day when I can play these songs on the stage again. I was going to say, I wonder if one aspect of this is that you have not had the opportunity to play these songs in live venues. That must change the relationship with music. Yeah, I think that certainly is the case. Um, perhaps if I was playing night after night with these songs, I might feel a little different about listening to the record. <laughs> Can I make a suggestion for your next album name? Please. A Long Shelf Life in Our Hearts. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's how you describe these songs. That would be the most beautiful next record. I'm just saying. Hey, you know, I'm always working. So uh, 
those little gems that pop up throughout the day. I should be writing them down. I've written it down for you. I can give you the post-it okay. note afterwards. I, I do want to say that this is not like a downer breakup album. And I, I think you accomplish that balance in a song like A Thousand Lights. Everyone trying to lose their inhibitions. Where's my redemption here? Just the sky so clear. Maybe a shooting star. If I'm lucky, if I'm lucky, maybe somewhere. You're looking up there. Are you trying to tell yourself something in this song, Daniel Rodriguez? Yeah, I think a lot of times, um, unconsciously, I'm, I'm writing for my future self. Um, just giving myself little little hints of, of ways to move through things. And um, this song and, and this album really serves as that. It occurs to me then that a song can be like a time capsule. You know, I think we put things in a time capsule so that we will remember them later and appreciate them later. Mm. A song can serve that role, do I hear you saying? Hey, there's the third record title. <laughs> a song is a time capsule. Okay. Should I write that down on the post-it? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I should. <laughs> what do you think you're trying to tell yourself specifically in this tune? Well, I think a lot of times those... Um, sometimes perceived dramatic situations or very tough situations um, end up making us stronger and, and give us more perspective on life. And actually, it doesn't seem that way when you're going through something, but um, it provides a, a much more rich palette of emotions and experience. If I'm lucky, maybe somewhere You're looking up there Just this sky so clear Maybe a shooting star If I'm lucky If I'm lucky Maybe somewhere You're looking up there I think it's in this track that there's just like the greatest rhyming. You rhyme luster and cluster and kissing and inhibition. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. Um... Is it hard to develop rhymes that feel fresh? Um, I Not necessarily for me. I, th I find it very um, enthralling and exciting, um, that part of my craft, to sort of endeavor and think about those things and find ways to not make them cliche. Um, find the rhyme that's kind of the hardest and, and, and most exciting for, the, for my brain. Um, in that yeah. way, you're a wordsmith as well. Well, thank you. I'll take that as a compliment. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that was, I guess that was part declaratory, declaratory statement and part question. Do you consider yourself a wordsmith? I wouldn't necessarily consider myself that, but I've been called that. I've been called much worse. <laughs> <laughs> How has COVID-19 complicated the release of an album? We've talked a bit about live performance, but what is it like to launch a record in this environment? 
Um, I think it's actually been kind of neat and a little bit interesting to do it because I think people have the time to actually listen to a, a, a record all the way through and people are looking for, I know I certainly am, looking for some new music to uh, digest and um, feel. So it, the live music thing puts a, a bit of a, um, a handicap on it, but but I think it's a beautiful time to release music. Yeah, people are captive and they're craving an experience. Indeed. And do you think then that, say, in your work with Elephant Revival, did you have fears that people weren't listening to an album stem to stern? Um, I I know for a fact that people are not doing that. Um, so you can tell just by, uh, you know, digital listens that one song might have 7 million plays and another song might have 1 million plays. So huh. people people choose their favorites and put them on their playlist. And that's just the, uh, the, the environment we're living in. Everything's so data-driven these days, even music, huh? It really is. There is such vivid imagery in the album's title, Sojourn of a Burning Sun. How did you land on that phrase? Well, the, I wrote a song called Sojourn of a Burning Sun, and it's um, within the record. And it just lyrically is my favorite song on the record. Um, just the imagery that came out of my pen um, for that song. And my my first record that I had put out is called Your Heart, the Stars, the Milky Way. And when I wrote Sojourn, um, it just kind of kept with that celestial feeling and it felt thematic in a way so I just decided to go with that in the heat of the helpless deed the universe gave way separated from the swelling sea calm rolling in a single way in the warmth of the mother's womb the web of what's to come Soon the days when the flowers bloom Oh, the sojourn of a burning sun In the darkness of grooming bright In the light of a crescent moon As the children play seeking hide Oh, the stars will shine here soon Our lungs, they are breathing light our hearts are beating drums In the wake of a static splash Oh, the sojourn of a burning sun How has it been different as a solo artist? Contrast that for me with the Elephant Revival work. Um, with Elephant Revival, we had a, a, a democracy pretty much set up creatively to where if someone brought an idea... Um, not that I don't have that now, but um, if I if I have an idea now, I can kind of just um, run it straight through, and um, things can happen a lot quicker now because I don't have to bounce ideas off of um, you know five or six different people. Of which, creatively, I love those ideas that those folks would would put forward. But now I can be a little bit more prolific and not have to wait a couple of years to you know get a few songs out there. So in that sense, um, uh, I'm being fulfilled in a different way. So wait, have you gone from democracy to totalitarianism? 
A benevolent totalitarianism. (laughs) (laughs) In, In the song that we just heard, there's imagery of fires and blazes and sparks as well. You, you mentioned the celestial stuff, but I couldn't help but think of the wildfires this year as I listened to Sojourn of a Burning Sun. Is it interesting to watch songs take on new meaning as time goes by? Yeah, and it, it's nice to, to write in a way where many meanings can, can come forth from it. And uh, like I said, oftentimes I... I tend to write for my future self and sometimes I'm surprised at the at the way that they um, shed light on the now of what that I'm living you, you you don't think of that as like being psychic do you or just um no I never try to put a uh, a a word to it okay whether it's psychic or not I have no idea or maybe just prescient Daniel, thank you so much for being with us. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Boulder singer-songwriter Daniel Rodriguez, formerly of Elephant Revival. One last track for the show called The Unknown off his debut solo album, Sojourn of a Burning Sun. It's out now. The storm is over. Chaos took me down To a place where no one really knows anymore I'm getting older But I'm a new man again I've gone down in a ball of flames I've shattered But I'm getting up again But time is on my side I bought a ticket, now I'm on a ride I just have to see what's on the other side And our love might not be anymore But now there's an open door For whatever that needs to come and go And love is all we are that'll never change Daniel Rodriguez I'm Ryan Warner. Thanks for spending time with us. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm out here in the unknown Unsure of the things that have been shown Thrown it all to the wind